Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And in the words of Gabby Hayes, there you go, thank you. Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France there. <laughs> and let's see if Mr. Roberts is, he's not with us yet, he's on the way home. Well, no, he was uh, he was at the storage room today, oh. and Nola made him work, and so he uh, he's on the way home. And, and he stopped, and stopped at the tavern. They probably did, you know, but anyway. <laughs> uh, we got a really good show for you, planned for you today. Awesome show. Uh, it's the history uh, of the Rieto Racetrack here in Tucson. A lot of history there, a lot of stuff going on. And the man behind it. And the man behind it. Uh, is Jay Wells. Well, he didn't start the thing, but he's with the Rito Foundation. And welcome to the show. Well, he's thank the you man for having behind me. the man. <laughs> <laughs> You've been with the foundation how long? Well, we actually started it in two, uh, uh, 2011 and then uh, got the Jokes House sometime in 2013 and then uh, the contract with the county to actually run the racetrack in 2014 with our first season being 2015. Okay. And racing, I mean, I remember the track being there. Uh, I've been in Tucson since 1959. I remember the track being there, but wasn't being used. Uh, well, they, it's gone up and down. It's it's con, you know constantly been a roller coaster. Uh, it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's just the, the people that love it love it, and it's got such roots in Tucson. The history is you know not known by a lot of folks about just how historic that track is. The many innovations that happened there. Uh, the history of how it got started uh, is a fascinating little place. Let's dr- let's dr- uh, go right into it. Rook and Jelks is the guy, right? Well, yeah. All right. Yeah. Ooh. Well, Mr. Jelks, I can tell you a little bit about his background. So he was uh, came out here as a lot of uh, the gentry gentle gentleman class came out and uh, because of tuberculosis, and he got it during contracted it during World War One. Came out here, got a, an ag uh, degree, at the University of Arizona. Uh, went back to Arkansas and married and then came out and lost his wife and childbirth. And, uh, but anyway, he took up and he was a gentleman uh, farmer and he basically had uh, ranches all over. The One of them was the X9 ranch that was out in the Vale area. I have a question for you. Sure. Because, you know, I was looking stuff up there and that's one of the trouble about the Internet with getting information is so much of the stuff was confused with his dad. Because he's being a junior, you know. Well, no. So, so the Rukin that actually started the track was the senior. So he, yeah, the, the yeah. Uh, Jokes family were big in Wynn, Arkansas. Ironically, where I grew up duck hunting and I came from Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> so I knew that area where their where their original plantation was. They were antebellum cotton money. Yeah. And uh, so he came out here and never had to, to really work. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. he, he dabbled in a lot of things. Unfortunately, one of the things he dabbled in was sort of they you know they the only really racing out here that they had were just uh, the cowboys on sunday when they mm-hmm. barbecue the horses they rode all week uh, working the cattle they'd get up and race them and bet on them and so he and a gentleman named melville haskell who came from georgia for tuberculosis two reasons most well. important men in yeah no they really they were the two and uh, so they they got together and they started applying some real scientific studies to the quarter horses and what they're really known for is uh, they they first started recognizing they would time and they would see that the horses were slowing down as they reached the quarter mile pole. And uh, uh, so they, that's when you start slowing down and you don't make it to the quarter pole or any distance, that a horse that can do that is called last. So he went back to uh, Kentucky and looked for a thoroughbred that looked the most like a quarter horse and brought home uh, pig and string. Yeah, no, and within the first uh, foundation sire. Yeah, and he uh, within three years all the world champions came out of the little stable there on River Road at the racetrack. Wow, you know it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Do you think about uh, cowboys have always raced? You're always looking for a way to bet and also a way to compete. But if you go back. To you know, the, the colonial like we were talking before the show in the colonial period, it was still the same way. You know, it was either racing buggies or stuff like that. But one of the things with the quarter horse is, as by the time we were talking about the cowboy era, the quarter horse had, had, had been changed to a short distance horse because you're working cattle in quick bursts, and you didn't need a long distance horse. You needed a horse to get out there and get back. 
Hmm. Well, the quarter racing, you know, precedes the the uh, revolution, and basically back everything on the other side of the Mississippi was solid wood. So mm-hmm. can you imagine trying to um, you know, carve out a mile track or do like the, the English were doing? Yeah. Todd Roberts is uh, with us from Los Angeles. Howdy, sir. It's about time. Gentlemen, how are we today? We are well. Say hello to Jay Wells. He's uh, with the Rieto Foundation, uh, managing now the, uh, well, along with the county, managing the Rieto Racetrack here in Tucson. How do you do? Well, hello, Mr. Wells. How are you, sir? Pleasure to meet you over the radio. Pleasure to meet you. Yes. You can get your first question right now. Yeah. Okay, here's my first question. Why are jockeys so short? <laughs> so they can reach the stirrups. Because cowboys aren't short. Cowboys are not short. Cowboys can, are all sizes, tall, heavy, uh, so on, uh, and they ride horses all day. Cowboys are jockeys. Jockeys so short. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, if you look at the history of, of racing, uh, one of the uh, most celebrated jockeys in the early days before they really started recording things was a, a king from Africa from the Pygmy tribe. And so I think he set the trend. Yeah. Well, you know, you, wow. you think about it because one of the things that jokes in high school established was the weight classing. You know, the, you know right. handicapping by weight, and you know you don't want to put uh, Andy Devine up on a horse against against Mickey Rooney. You know, it's just, yeah. it's just how much so you're packing. How did the quarter horse get named? Is it because of that quarter quarter mile, mile post? So, yeah. So in the colonial days, pre-colonial days, actually, you know, before we we uh, became a nation, uh, they would carve out you know a quarter mile straight. Maybe it. it Part of it was their main street in these little villages mm. in Virginia and Maryland and Kentucky. And, you know, the hot uh, area for horses in the United States, eastern United States, was actually around in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of uh, going way back. So the quarter horse actually predates the thoroughbred. And I'm sure that many of your listeners know that, uh, that to be a thoroughbred, you have to trace your your uh, lineage. Uh, paternal lineage up to through three thoroughbreds that all were, were deemed to be the sire basic sires back in the late 1690s and the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. And I think today about every thoroughbred only goes back to one of those. Mm-hmm. And forgive me, I can't remember. Well, you know, you think about it, you go back, including New England and the South, but that was one of the things, too. Sunday after church, it was, they would either be racing their horses yeah. or their buggies. Yeah. You know, and can you imagine, you know, here's mom and the four kids in the back and dad, the guy comes alongside and it's Yahoo, off you go. It's like riding down Speedway. And it's, and it's down the main street, like you say, about a quarter of a mile. Well, you know, the quarter course was, you know, was famous before thoroughbreds were even founded, and it was known as the American, uh, the celebrated American quarter running horse. Hmm. And uh, so that was a big deal. And, you know, they were mainly feral uh, barbs, Spanish barbs left over from the Spanish. And there are lots of different theories about how they were originally bred and brought over. And I'm sure some stock came from, from Europe. But, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, one of the theories that I subscribe to is that uh, to be, a, to be survive in the woods of anything on the other side of Mississippi, solid, solid forest, mm-hmm. uh, you had to be able to move quickly. And so that's the Well, cal- you know, cattle rest back then was on foot. Yeah. That's how thick the woods were. Yeah. And, you know, another thing which is so interesting, and I never understood, but the Morgan horse was the dominant breed all through that early days because they were small, compact, hard workers. Could pull pull a wagon, or could you could ride them, but they never seem to breed them into the quarter horse line or the thoroughbred line. Yeah, well, the quarter horses evolved. I mean, it was sort of a loose breed in the sense of that you know originally it started out in the east, and then when they finally were able to carve out the mile tracks, the thoroughbred came over, and all the gentry bought thoroughbreds and started breeding them here. There was a long lineage of that, and then the quarter horses sort of made their way into Texas, which is really what made them the famous. King Ranch. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that that's I'm, I keep, I keep, you mentioned earlier that that Texas uh, Foundation sire and it's yeah. driving me nuts because he came yeah. off of the King Ranch, yeah. several of them. Yeah. Yeah. Steel dust. Steel dust. That's his name, right? <laughs> that's one of them. They they had they were like here. They had like about four or five Foundation yeah. sires. Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, you know, when uh, when quarter racing was going, and I called it quarter racing on purpose as opposed to quarter horse racing, because the uh, Junks and Haskell, they didn't care if you were a zebra or a mule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, it was all about speed. In fact, they started the Southern Arizona Breeders Association, and their motto was uh, an ounce of speed is worth a pound of hot air. That's as true today as it was oh, yeah. then. <laughs> but they didn't care, and there was a big feud, actually, between the quarter um, uh, horse breeders out of Texas that founded mm-hmm. the, you know, the group in, in uh, Amarillo. And so it, it, it was contentious for a while, but they didn't care. And, but they, they were doing things that were so innovative. And um, as I said, they, you know, they, they cured that last issue by getting uh, pick and string and breeding that in, mm-hmm. them in. And then soon, you know, everybody was doing that breeding in thoroughly. Well, here's a couple of the other horses, too, Shoe Fly and Hard Twist. Yeah. No, they yeah. I was just was just looking here, and this is interesting because they sponsored the first world championship, which became you know, the, in, I think I think it like was the second year the Queenie won it. Yeah, they, so the as Pig and String, who, he was a he has a thoroughbred and was a thoroughbred, and so he was a world champion quarter runner, and uh, so they started that way. But clearly, then the you know in the 40s it really took off when Shoe Fly started up and you had Hard Twist and. People started really breeding for speed. Poco bueno. Yeah, and uh, not necessarily trying to breed for you know, working cattle, but literally purposely breeding. Is, is horse racing uh, more popular today than it was uh, in recent history, or, or vice versa? Well, unfortunately, the only analogy I can give you is it's sort of like cigarette smoking mm. while it's being reduced in the United States. It's mm-hmm. spreading worldwide, you know, exponentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, while that's a bad analogy in the sense of what cigarettes, but but any event, they, you know, horse racing, there's more money bet at the Hong Kong Jockey Club in one day than all of the United States combined. Wow. Well, you know, it's, and you, you wow. think about it, but uh, it's like Rio Dosa, you know, because it's... In fact, I worked with Gene Hensley, who was one—I think—one of the first general managers here. And you—you—you you, you looked at the thoroughbreds that were coming into the breed, and every every kid in Rio Dosa growing up, because of the track, knew all the horses. Right, right. You know, because we get the printouts, and you know, go down to the track. And, well, the, you know, the Jelks and Haskell really developed the the retail into just the hub and the, the of all of quarter racing, uh, uh, quarter horse racing. And it stretched from San Francisco to Dallas to Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Denver, and there was this whole circuit. And mm-hmm. the world champions would all come uh, and race in in uh, Tucson, and so that was huge. And then in the '60s. Uh, uh, the track got in trouble, and they ended up selling it to some folks that dealt with the with mafia. The yeah, they did. Mm. And so that's when they added the additional uh, furlongs in order to make it a five-eighths mile and start running thoroughbreds. Uh, but it did sort of take the luster or the air out of that whole idea of Tucson being the center of quarter racing. Well, I think a part of it, too, was because quarter horsing had caught on. And it was like, you know, going there, like, we can't have one race here. Because we've got tracks in California, right. Colorado, right. Texas, Wyoming, and they're not they're not coming here. So how do you? So it's like that's part of these uh, Haskell's record keeping was that made it a system where you could rate them and. Well, you know the the handicapping system is so many innovations came from Rito and Haskell in particular of the two Jelks and Haskell. He was the more science minded or whatever mm-hmm. to really sort of you know enforce these rules. And he did a wonderful annual yearbook where he would talk about developments yeah. and develop the handicap system. And for those that, that don't know about the handicap system, it's basically the weight added to your horse so that ideally the racing secretary would add this weight so that all the horses would cross the finish line at the same time. That yeah, was the goal. Technically, yeah. There, you know, hypothetically. And then you'd bet on the one that was seven links behind. <laughs> well, a lot of times you bet there, on the huh? one that, you know, you really think about it, maybe it's the one that's got the most weight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you, I can remember, especially the quarter horse races in the All-American, when the trials, you'd see these horses there. And there'd be, you know, one jockey would be riding at 117 or something. And then there'd be, all the favorites would be up there at 125, one, you know, the, 10 pounds, 15 pounds heavier. Yeah. Well, they, at the U of A, they teach now, or they have classes, I guess, on how to 
understand the wagering on horses. So that, that, how to run a track. It's the top person yeah, to come Yeah, that, no, the, yeah, that, the U of A's racetrack management program is the premier. That's pretty uh, interesting. I, you know, the, the alumni that come from the U of A uh, all over the world. Yeah. And now some of these the interns, since I've been involved with the track in you know 2015, you know, one of, one of the gentlemen, Joe Longo, who helped us kind of in the accounting office, and he's now the head of all simulcast racing for NYRA, New York Racing yeah. Association. Creating hmm. ge- racing geniuses, actually. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's amazing, and you know, horse racing is. It, there's been a huge development in horse racing this this uh, last year, uh, and that is the uh, Horse Racing Integrity Act, and it, it's HISA is what it's called, Safety Act, and, and uh, basically the feds have come in and they now have safety regulations put on all tracks, including mm-hmm. Rito, uh, that. In order to send your signal across state lines, meaning if we we could send it up to Turf Paradise, we could send it to mm-hmm. Hong Kong Jockey Club. Mm-hmm. We couldn't send it to Gulfstream or Santa Anita. And if it crossed the state lines, we have to do it. It's it's like a ninety thousand dollar additional fee Whoa. to come up. You have to have. Oh, it's it's big. You got it. Internet. Well, I guess it's internet betting, whatever you call it, like uh, electronic betting. Yeah. No, Todd, you got another question in here before we go to a break? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> what film, Mr. Wells, because we're kind of stuck in the film world, uh, or at least in our minds we are, what what horse racing film uh, do you find as, as real and realistic as possible? Well, I'm you know I'm I'm personally fond of Sea Biscuit and uh, a little known sure uh, sure yeah, a little known fact tidbit is that. Um, they actually did all of the the running of the horses. They did all of the recording for the sound at Rieto because it was so hard that the horses would clop, clop, clop. <laughs> and they, they would get that rice per sandwich. It's not really a, you know, it was before we went in and, and, uh, and did what we did to the track to bring it up to standards. Wow. All right, we're going to do our first commercial break here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts with you. Jay Wells is our guest. The Rito Track will be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away, it'll just make it worse. Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. you mind telling me what all this means? You happen to be tax paying, don't you? That's right. You happen to be a lawyer. Try it again. You're our man. You coming along, or do we have to persuade you? Hello. Are your guns loaded? 
Francis of Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts with you. Our guest is Jay Wells of the Rito Foundation, and of course that is uh, some uh, Jimmy Wakely there. Get along, little pony. I've got some movie stuff to have to do with the track. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's a path that you, you probably you know this, I know already. But well, wait a second. Before you do going. that. What? <laughs> Bob, Bob. <laughs> Now you may continue. <laughs> Beetle bomb. Okay. Wait a minute. It, I, I could swear that was the, that's the bugle for the bar. <laughs> Isn't it? Hey, now, any, I swear to God, I've heard it before. <laughs> Anyhow, this is Bathley News filmed a motion picture, actually a short, in 1945, the world champion quarter horse speed trials, which was won by Queenie with an IE. Uh, and it said she set a new record for the t- at that time. Now this was a 10-minute short titled "Quarter Horse," and they actually had a showing at the Rolito Theater in Tucson. Well, I'm under, I wasn't uh, familiar with that. Is it, still, is it still? Is uh, it still? I I, I, didn't, I was going to look it up and see if, if it's uh, because a lot of that stuff you know gets gets uh, institutionalized and saved like the Smithsonian. You know, the, the for the Jelks House, our our goal is to actually turn it into a um, museum, not just about Rito, but about basically Southern Arizona horse racing, which in the horse culture is just huge here, especially with the with the racing as I was talking about. And uh, that's but that's the kind of thing. Keep saving the track. Yeah, we need to. We need if you can if you can possibly find if there's a copy of that around. That, that would, would be just awesome. be fabulous to have. Yeah. We'll, we'll check out uh, public domain movies. Here, I'll just give that to you. It's Please. right there, and you can count that. Cool. Now, General Harry gets that stuff. I <laughs> try to. Yeah. <laughs> Not always successful. All right, more history about uh, the Rieto track. Um, Jelks uh, and his partner take care of it. They they get everything going. What's the <clears throat> What's the community response like when they? finally get this thing up and going is it uh, well they no it was huge and they you know there was not a lot to do and at that time you know uh, so predating Rito was a track called Matalco which is up in the in the foothills Actually, and it only was there locations for that track yeah, well I didn't know that yeah one was down at Ajo and Santa Cruz that was the one where they moved all the equipment out to uh, jokes huh Oh, I, you, know, you're, you need to join the board and be our historian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're making me look like I don't know my, you know what, from a hole in the ground. <laughs> but yeah. this, this is, let's go on to this year for a second. 1940, the Tucson Horsemen's Association was formed by Locke, Jelks, Haskell, Jake Meyer, Clancy Willard, and a bunch of other people. And these are the people that made it. But like Harry's question, one of the reasons that it was so successful because there were so many horse people here. Yeah. You know, this was this was still coming out of the agricultural era. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of money here that that uh, people just don't really realize that about Tucson and the, the Easterners that came out here, as I said. You know, a lot of them were just because of tuberculosis, but they just needed something to do. You know, mm-hmm. and they and they got this going and they had the money to do it and the time on their hands and. And thank God they did, because they really did make a huge impact, not just on quarter horse racing, but literally racing in general, you know, the development of the of what we call the photo finish camera today. Mm-hmm. Del Mar was the first track to actually use a motion picture, but in quarter horse racing, they could not uh, time it by hand. And they're and, like this close yeah. at the line. And, and because they run it like they do the 100-meter dash in the Olympics, uh, you know, you can run in a heat, and it's the fastest from all the different heats. Mm-hmm. So they had to know what each horse crossed the line at, and 
that's a great thing because it lets all the horses come from all these different heats. But two, it can be really just something that deals with luck and fortune because if you run the first heat, you're in the first heat, and then the mm-hmm. rain opens up and the track gets mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. Oh, everybody okay. in the first heat goes to the finals. <laughs> and, and you get a tailwind for yeah, a yeah. races, yeah. and you got a headwind. Yeah, it's so, all so that, so that's in the records now. Yeah. So that photo finish camera was essentially developed here. What they did, they did it in 43, and uh, a guy named Vance Melkor, uh, was the one that sort of spearheaded it, and they uh, took a submarine timing clock. From, uh, from, you know, it was 1943, oh, and uh, they actually put it at the finish line. And so the motion picture camera was not only recording the images of the horses crossing the finish line, but also what it was reading on the clock. Wow. Mm. And so that way they were able to go back because their horses—they're so fast. I mean, as I said, they go mm-hmm. and they can get out of the chute. Tons of disputes before the camera was. Uh, used widely, I'm sure. There was <laughs> rides and shootings. Well, they're always disputes. <laughs> they're always disputes. Todd, you got something else you want to throw in? So, Churchill Downs, Jay, is known for its mint julep. <laughs> what is Rioito known for well, we, in the beverage area? I don't care be, about food. That would have I to be the margarita. <laughs> Hey, if, you can ah. see, if you can see the bartenders mixing up the bargarita before their race day, it takes. We have to bring them in two hours early. Well, you know, here's the thing, because we, we keep touching on this, but developed at the track with stake races, graded races, futurities, and weighted handicaps, yeah. which is all about the modern races right. are now. Yeah. Well, you know, little other things that just are tidbits of history. Uh, the first licensed uh, female jockey was at Rito. Oh, was that and, the Mexican girl? No, no. She was uh, a very, uh, came from a very wealthy family. Her oh. family owned over where the Tucson Mall is today. Oh, okay. And, uh, but she just basically egged them so much that they gave her a license. But that was, that was it. People and don't realize. And her cousin. One of the early women jockeys there. Well, we've had, you know, they used to have, uh, in fact, I tried to, uh, you know, adapt it for Rito and bring it back. But it was the Lipstick Derby. And they would fly oh. girl, female jockeys from all over the country to come oh, in and ride. Idea. And it was only female-only jockeys. That would be that would be a lot, a lot of fun. Well, you know, Rio Dosa used to do a, a uh, Outriders uh, race. Yeah, I, Everybody that would pick up riders and stuff like that. And... A friend of mine, he, he wanted two or three years riding a mule. He's even pony with the mule. That's all the pony horses from here. But it was a great race because nobody knew the horses, you know, except the guys at the track. Sure, sure, sure. Well, they couldn't bet on them, I'm sure. No, it was, it was, it was a freebie sure. race. You know, people, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Tucson was quite the small burg back in the day when this track was developed, uh, and, and you mentioned where Tucson Mall is now located, and that's up on the northwest side of town, but that was all desert. Uh, Orange Grove Road, there used to be uh, orange groves along there. Yeah, there was a, a there was a, an arena there, a guy named Bueno yeah. had the arena and, yeah. and a little kind of a western tax shop. And, and, and the, sound, the city is so spread out now that it's lost all of that character, but I'm glad the track is. And the best well, bar in Tucson, the Buckskin. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the best, unfortunately, the best kept secrets in Tucson is the actual Jelks House itself. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I was asked by some folks to come in, and and they were trying to get it on the national register, and they kept telling me about this house that was on the back side of the track. And I went over, and I was a preservation architect, and my jaw just dropped. Mm. Because here was this fabulous uh, Sonoran's Revival-style house akin to a jostler done by a guy named Fred Knipe, who also was, a, was was an architect that came out because of tuberculosis. And he owned the X-9 and sold it to Jelks. So when Jelks moved in town, or closer to town back then, uh, he, he hired Fred Knight to design this house, and the bricks are made with mixing oxblood in the clay. Wow! Uh, all of the beams in the house are hand-hewn mesquite beams that were bought from a collapsed wow. mine in Bisbee. Wow. Um, you know, the the it's just this the, it's the first burn adobe house built. Yeah. When I saw it, it, it's it's literally as built. So original bathrooms, original kitchen Jeez. cabinets, almost all the jostlers or any any mm. house of that style had been renovated. 
But Mary Shoemaker, who's the unsung heroine in the whole story, uh, she, if you were of my age or, or maybe a little older and you were a hunter-jumper gal, you mm-hmm. probably learned to ride in Mary Shoemaker's place, which was the yeah. Jelks house. And uh, so she took it, she bought it, she and her husband bought it from Jelks in the 50s, and uh, she lived there until she died in 2006. So. And, you know, it's one of the interesting things, too, the, the adobe, which is fired, which uh, was kind of a new thing, yeah. but they were laid lengthwise instead of, instead of you know, the way yeah. you think mm-hmm. like this. So the walls are like... Yeah, the 30 foot inches. And a half long. Yeah, no, they're they're more than a foot and a half. They're almost 30 inches thick. Yeah, it was the first burn adobe, and, and can you imagine? It took them two years to build it. It's a very small house. It's only like 1,600 square feet. But they hauled the adobe from 90 miles south of Nogales. Yeah. And mm. and hauled it up. Can you imagine in the 30s coming oh up God, on trucks yeah. with these heavy right. fired block? And then uh, oh, the, the, the ceiling, the Tio ceiling made out of saguaro ribs, and just the whole thing is just this classic house. Uh, we were blessed. so Jay. What does the house do now? Well, is we, it just a museum. We, well, we what we've been doing is trying to open it up as a museum. We're we're lacking a bathroom. We we did raise about two hundred thousand dollars and did major renovations in twenty nineteen. Uh, COVID shortly came thereafter, and uh, it's a long story. But anyway, they, we didn't put in the bathrooms at the time, and the it's a county owned property. So the county oversees all of that sort of stuff. We raise the funds, they do the work. So they, they did, after getting the county bids, which you know are naturally <laughs> higher than, than your average bear. Um, but anyway, they money go? yeah, well, they uh, if they did. I will say this though, they did do a fabulous job. The people they brought in to do the restoration work on the on the stables are pretty cool. But what's really really wonderful is that the Jelks family found out what we were doing. And at first, they would give us, like, little things. And then one day, uh, I got a call from Jimmy Jelks, his grandson, and he said, I'm coming by with a U-Haul. And they <laughs> gave us just statues that Tex Wheeler had done hmm. of Queenie, uh, pick and string, uh, bronze statues. And Tex Wheeler is famous for uh, doing the life-size statue of Seabiscuit that stands in the paddock at Santa Anita. And, and really what's special to me is that all of the artwork that was hanging in Mr. Jelk's office in the stable when he was there, yeah. Jimmy gave me that. Oh, and yeah. so we've got mm. some, you know, Are incredible pieces. Are the murals still there? The mural's still there. And that was actually, you know, there's a big kind of debate about that because um, Tex Wheeler actually in 1940 painted a... Um, Vaquero scene, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was titled. And you know, it was a, warm, a housewarming present in 1940, and you can actually see the 1940. But somehow later, and some folks attributed that Wheeler came back and painted over his original mural. But this incredible bucking bronco and cowboy, yeah. and a West classic Western bucking bronco image hmm. is painted, and it's literally five by five. Is that and, over the Vaquero? It's a, yeah. You can still see a little bit of a. a bright colors that are kind of out of place in the mural itself, but it's just incredible what this mural yeah, looks like. a couple like. extra million dollars, you could actually extract that and <laughs> yeah, have both of it. Now, you know, the, the great thing, as I said, the only thing that's been changed at the house is the stable, and we, when we yeah. redid it, completely restored it, because it was falling down in parts of it. I saw some pictures, it looks great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really All right, we got to do our next commercial break here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts with you. Jay Wells, our guest from the Rito Foundation. We will be back. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. This is Eb Wilkinson at Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you're within 10 to 15 years of retirement and you're putting off retirement planning, my advice to you is don't do that. Ignoring your retirement planning won't make it go away. It'll just make it worse. 
Give me a call and let's work on your plan together so you can retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Hello, I'm Travis Mills, and I made 12 Westerns in 12 months, and you're listening to Voices of the West. We are back on Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Jay Wells is our guest. We're talking about the Rieto racetrack here in Tucson. And Jay, I got to tell you, uh, I, I I don't know if you're familiar with the high chaparral theme, but that's it. And that's because this guy worked on 52 of them. Wow! As a stunt man. Yeah, that 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 was you. And he's alive. He's yeah. still alive. Yeah. Uh, Does that look too broken up? He's, yeah. Well, you know, and, he, and, you, you've heard and he's speaking in a in a linguistic tongue. Yes. <laughs> you know the scripture about white horse sepulchers, right? No. Well, uh, anyhow, it is based. You look at a sepulcher, it's white horse, it's beautiful. You open the door, it's full of death and corruption inside. <laughs> That's him. <laughs> That's you. All right. So, Jay, I have, to, I have to say this, and I'm not saying this just because you're our guest on the show. Probably I am, but that's all right. Don't worry. Um, you know, I have to say, Jay, when I was starting to first listen to you uh, talk, I thought to myself, this guy sounds like he's about 15. Boy, he moved fast up up the racing world. And then I, I, no, I find your video of you on television, and you've got more gray hair than Bunker does. It's all white. Well, and, I, you know, you look like you you look like you've been in one or two bars in your life. Well, behind me. First, first of all, so age is how just is it we never crossed? How did we never cross paths? Oh, that's funny. No, I'll tell you, most of this gray hair comes from Rito. Uh, it's, it's really been, you know, the, the whole story of the track and what we tried to do with it uh, uh, has been quite a slog, I guess is the best way to put it. And we're still in the middle of it. It's it's not always been great. And we did do it. We did come a long, long way with the track. Um, you know, that, that was probably the beautiful part. During the break, I was talking about how, uh, you know, in 2020, uh, before COVID came and cut us short, we lost our last two weekends. We had had the Budweiser Clydesdales. We'd had Mind That Bird, the Kentucky Derby winner, uh, come over for the guests, the parade. And and um, uh, we had uh, Ten Horse Gate, where we were actually part of the Bank of America Quarter Horse Challenge Races, uh, sponsored by the American Quarter Racing Association, Quarter Horse Association Racing Division. And uh, I really kind of thought we had made it. And then um, the COVID came along. We had the unfortunate accident that same afternoon with losing uh, Richard Gomez in, in a yeah, tragic jockey, jockey now, accident. Now, racing was supposed to resume uh, this month, February, but... According to the, the the county suspended it, and it's all it sounds to me like politics. But uh, it seems that there were some uh, some paperwork may not have got turned in or late or something of that nature. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So uh, I retired in 2020 and stepped down from the board, and and a new group came in, and uh, they they were able to get a lot of money. This long story, but it's also sort of a, the irony of it. Um, Back in 2018, we had a pledge of a million dollars to give to the county from a foundation, and uh, they gave 400000 They actually given us more money prior to that million-dollar pledge, so certainly they were our patrons. And uh, But for reasons during COVID and not really related to RETO at all, uh, they didn't fulfill that pledge, but it was in our contract. And so we were forced to give the county $600,000. Shortfall. Well, it was mainly for improvements to the track. Mm -hmm. So that $600,000 is in a county fund, uh, temporarily restricted, to do these improvements to the track. But in doing giving them the six hundred thousand, it also depleted our finances, so Mm -hmm. we have to get through it. Uh, There were some issues that the current board had with a former accounting who basically went out of business and and did not produce the uh, audit. The last audit that has been produced was the one that I oversaw for Mm -hmm. 2020. Uh, but that's now, the, the board asked me to come back involved with it in last uh, spring, 
And at first, it simply settled the horseman's purse because that was out of whack. And uh, so I, in doing so, we kind of found out what a mess the finances were in the sense of accounting-wise and just counting tracking more than anything else. <laughs> and uh, so then in October, they asked me to come in and, and stand in as uh, uh, temporary president or, yeah. Yeah, to yeah, kind of get it straight down. Accounting be such a nightmare. Yeah, just one little mistake, and it, it, it kind of dominates. Well, it's like, like the uh, empire with the, the BLM. Yeah, you know, I mean, in all fairness to them, you know, part of it is that there are a lot of enemies uh, Mm. to retail. Oh, the soccer. And, and, you know, uh, there's three reasons that uh, we have so many fights in in the community and and their location, location, and location. And so the soccer people, of course, that's sort of been the known uh, quantity that literally one of the horse racing gone. There's naturally the, the uh, PETA, et cetera, that are against the animal abuse, and you know it's easy to, to come in where we are and make a big splash, so they do that. Uh, but in all, I think the county is very supportive of horse racing there and the heritage of it, and uh, certainly we're looking forward to working with the administration to get a way that we can open back up in 2025 with the $600,000 worth of improvements, which, as I said, because of the uh, HISA rules now through the feds, we have to do about $90,000 worth of improvements to bring it up so that we can export our signal. Right. If we can't export our signal, we, we can't make money. Which brings up the question, uh, will there be a, a Kentucky uh, Derby party this year? We're trying, we're, if we, so we met with the Department of Racing and once the auditors are turned in, I've been having several meetings uh, consistently, including last week, uh, with the auditors and we're getting close to wrapping that up. Once we turn it in, uh, we'll be eligible for a conditional permit mm-hmm. uh, that will allow us to get our racing permit back. Uh, and it's unfortunate that it lapsed, but it did. And yeah. uh, it's all accounting-wise. And, and so it's it's not all... Uh, fun and games. Fun and games, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a tough it's it's not, a tough business. It's not roses so, and petunias. So, Jay, I have to ask you, when you're talking, and I'm not trying to get you into any trouble, you know, but if I do, then meet me at the bar afterwards. Um, because you, you're going to know what real trouble is uh, when you go home. Uh, but when you're sitting and talking to the BLM people, whether it's over the phone or in person it's, or it's wherever. The, it's Pima County, Todd. That's who, Pima that's County who we have to talk with. Yeah. That's, that's even worse. Yep. Um, and you're talking, to, but when the, when the PETA people are complaining about animal rights and yeah. so on, you know, do you ever look at them and go, uh, I know you're worried about animals, but uh, where did you buy those shoes, that belt, and that yeah. bag? Um, well, there, you know, there's always... You're eating a chicken burger. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, there's always that, and there always will be that. And yeah. uh, it's growing, and it's getting a louder voice. But, the, you know, the sad thing is, you know, we... In 2016, we started a program called Equine Wellness, mainly because of herpes outbreak. And uh, so we were very fortunate. We leased a place off of the grounds proper. All the horses had to go there. They got the temperature taken. They were tested to see if they were infected. And based on that, we started an equine wellness program. And when the, we were the first uh, track in the country to literally, for you to get out of the, of the gate, you had to have a race day examination by a vet. Uh, we had interns, mainly uh, vet interns at the University of Arizona, and they would be assigned to come in, and they would each have a row of stalls, and those horses were theirs to take their temperature each day, to monitor them while they were out on the track. We had two vets at the track, not only on race day, but also on training days, which is every day but Monday. And so we were able to learn what horses had injuries. And we had gone from five catastrophic injuries one year. The, the first year we put in equine wellness, we went to zero. Mm-hmm. Now, now, a lot of that's luck. Wow. Now, a lot wow. of that is luck because you've, three, there's three types of accidents as, as far as the way that they look at, at breakdowns. Uh, one is two horses tangled their legs, mm-hmm. and it's just like an Indianapolis 500 or sure. Formula One wreck. You're yeah. going to have a wreck. And so they, they get injured. Yeah, you can't do anything about that. There's, that's about 15% of the, the fatalities. The other 15% is basically a horse is totally sound, and for whatever reason it has a heart attack, an aneurysm, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So there was no early diagnosis. But 70%, and I'm using round percentages, right. uh, 70% of the horses that do break down is a pre-existing condition. And they knew about this. They know about it. And they just, you know, there's so much pressure to make money uh, uh, to keep it going that that's the horses that you have to monitor. Mm -hmm. Just because they've had an injury, I mean, if you put, if you literally took any 
football player in the NFL that has an injury, sure. there wouldn't be anybody on the yeah, bench. Right, right, in, the right. in the halftime, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the bad guys give them the pills. We've, we've been super strict, and that's hurt us because yeah. we have a lot of sca- scratches. Because we have a lot of scratches, we have a lot of short fields. Short fields don't bet up big. You know, yeah. so you don't bet up for a lot of money for yeah. that. But by but, and large, I, I, I think that people in, in your industry and certainly Cowboys, yeah, there might be some abuse uh, someplace, but it's like way, uh, way down on the radar. Actually, because human nature is is that's that's the that's the element. Yeah, and because those who depend on the horse are going to take care of it. Uh, you well, know. But see, I mean, here's, here's the thing, Harry, and this and it's one of the sad things. But uh, well, some of the trainers, some of the owners, sometimes they'll have a horse that's a real contender, mm-hmm. and he comes for some reason or another. Comes race day, he's not sound. Well, back when they, they didn't have the strict testing, they'd say, well, a little enhancer. Yeah, no, no, you, you don't want you know, that. Yeah. But and that, that's always mm-hmm. been there, and sure. it's still, it's it, still it's, there. It's with human athletes as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. I it's mean, human you know, nature. Yeah. Yeah, but, it, you know, uh, it, it is difficult, and, it's and you know, the trainers are the... Are the they know their horse, mm-hmm. and they uh, and they're you know most of the trainers that I do know you know they're fabulous people. Their horses come first, uh, you know. And I'm amazed at these guys and what they will do to make sure their horses are taken care of. You know, the last guy at the bar uh, after a race day is the guy that really loves his horses because he's been putting them down for the night. You know? And the yeah. thing too is, it's just like anything. a trainer isn't going to put a horse in jeopardy because the owner is paying. Yeah. And you don't you don't kill the goose the last right. yeah. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that, you know this injury issue is 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 uh, uh, serious, and it has to be where you know they're disclosed. For instance, if you race in California and your horse goes on the vet list, that doesn't mean that we're they're required to put it on so that we see that that horse was on the vet list. And so if a horse comes over from California and we don't really know its history, we take an extra look at him and make sure because we can't see the records. They call it something akin to HIPAA, if you know what I mean. I can remember. Back when I was a kid at Rio Dosa, uh, all the horses would come up from Sunland and from Prescott, and there was no checking on the pre- Prescott horses. Did good for the first part of the meet because of the elevation; they were so similar. But you still had that thing that there was no there was no vet records going back and forth, and so you didn't really know the conditions of the horses. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I find it funny. I hope you do. But uh, we had a horse that was entered that was 14 years old, and everybody's like, wait a minute. This is ridiculous. And they were trying to get the horse scratched, and uh, the vet wouldn't do it. The vet says, no, this horse is sound. And he had not run in years. And uh, so there was no past performance on it. And he won. <laughs> well, he had been he had been running. He just been running in Mexico in the yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, well, so he was. And, and uh, yeah, where is in uh, Tijuana? Yeah, man. well, there there's you know of course lots of racing here in Southern Arizona yeah. on the weekends. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, taking after Jokes and Haskell from back in the yeah, day. Yeah, that's same still, thing. That's <laughs> All right, we're going to do our final commercial break here. It is that time. The hour's gone by quickly. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West is what you're tuned into with Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. Jay Wells, our guest. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management where we manage money for gun owners. 
When people turn 50, something miraculous happens. They start to get serious about retirement planning. They've done very well so far and want to be certain they power into the retirement they've earned. Let me guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. It's a Thorndike man, all right. Charlie Gray. So we ain't doing so good fighting Thorndike, huh? Well, if he's still alive, I'll ram him down his boss's throat. Well, he's alive, all right. But he's hurt so bad, he wouldn't care what you done to him. This is the Voices of the West. Back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, our guest Jay Wells uh, from the Rigito Foundation about the Rigito Racetrack. That's what we're talking about today, and uh, there's some Ray Whitley music for you. So, here we go. Uh, future for the Rigito track. Well, right now, as I said, because of the uh, uh, Escrowing the $600,000 for improvements to the track with the county, we're ready. They're actually the county's already doing bidding. Uh, we didn't find ourselves in a financial position that we could run this year, but we do believe that if we get the audits done, that'll give us the our permit back. Uh, we'll be able to continue our relationship with Churchill Downs, which many of your listeners may not not know, but we are the partner with Churchill Downs for all ADW wagering. You bet on your phone, oh, okay. and so we get a generous amount of money from them each uh, month. And uh, so that that revenue is is super important. Uh, you know, the, having it, having the money, the, the construction done, everything from handicapped bathrooms to you know just a better track surface, drain, better drainage, uh, some things that our rail really needs some repair. Uh, that has to happen, whether we were in money or uh, shorts or not. Mm-hmm. But giving the county the six hundred thousand dollars did put us a, a little bit shy of the amount of money that we needed, and we thought it was better to just err on the side of let's just. Slow down, uh, uh, get the get the audits done, uh, start getting the construction done. Go back to the county, and I I can I have good faith that that, that the county will work with us to get the, the racing going again. And uh, the people want it, horsemen want it. They're the same people that that you know we we're one of those few people places in this in the county where you can be sitting next to a couple from Minnesota and another couple that just came up from the Sonora and they don't yeah. speak. And when the race goes off, the people from yeah. Minnesota are going, yeah. come on, six, come on, six. And the yeah. others are going, come on, say, say, Sunday, say, say. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I know we were, uh, we meaning myself and uh, the co-host that I was producing at the time at the uh, radio station, we were excited about horse racing coming back, Joe Dreyfus, uh, because, I mean, it, well, Joe was... A ranch man uh, grew up on a ranch. His kin were down in St. David and whatnot. Um, so you know, it's 
he he goes back to that that old style and and you know well you know Joe was one of those people that were just emblematic of the old cowboy I mean he was so you knew Joe oh yeah 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 so Jay I gotta ask you did you ever eat those tacos that Joe would make my God if he talked about them one more time I was gonna do a dance in a tutu with bells on my fingers and rings on my toes that's funny well you know Joe used to say well you just you get any trouble you just let me know because I know where all the bodies are yeah, buried yeah, he always <laughs> say that, yeah. and he probably yeah. did and he probably did yeah, right. he also used to say to me you know Todd <laughs> you better not cross the state line out of California into Arizona because well, I, I have a lot of friends and family in law enforcement you know I'll tell you we've got a lot of folks Ed Moore just passed away yeah. county supervisor yep, he was yep. a huge supporter of the yep. track mm-hmm. and you know I've been around long enough to see some of those interns become leaders in the racetrack industry but I've also seen a lot of the old timers uh, slide away and God bless them all mm. and you'll you, you look at uh, the families just the local families that they that the summer I'm trying to think the not the potters there's a, a family starts with a P but they every year they come they were out from out they would come over bring the horses over and they would spear for the whole meet mm-hmm. and that's they live for that well you know this track belongs to the horsemen the people I mean the traditions go so far back I always tell people that uh, the first year that I became president of the track and I really didn't have a track background I was actually trying to help them with more of the historic side but we fell into running the races and I said the best analogy is can you imagine that they called a meeting of everyone in the Indian tribe and they brought out Jay Wells and said here's your new chief (laughs) 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 and and, and I was reminded that I did not know my A from a hole in the ground every day and I didn't but I did learn that's uh, funny and they're willing to teach. And willing to learn. All right, time for shameless promotion. What is uh, the foundation up to and... uh and what are you up to? Yeah, what are you well, up to? we are, again, you know, lobbying both the state, the governor's office, uh, because she froze, the Governor Hobbs uh, froze the COVID funds. Uh, there was $167,000 that was supposed to come to us that's now tied up uh, in those audits. And then we have our own audit issues, as I said. I think that, you know, what I would ask the listeners to do, if you care about retail, you care about horse racing, and you want to see it continue for whatever reason, because you enjoy going there to just drink a cold beer and watch some horses, and it's the only time you see them a year or you're really a breeder or whatever, whatever range you are. This is a celebration of Tucson, Arizona that like none other. And the crowds attest to that. Call the call your supervisor, call your councilman. Uh, let them know that Rito needs a future. And uh, we believe there's a path forward and we hope they'll listen and give us uh, some benefit. As I said, the irony is we've got 600,000 to do improvements and no money to race. And, you know, it's the people's track and it's, Back, it used to be a family thing. Yeah, people, people it still is. They'd rent a box, bring the whole family. All right, now the most important question. Absolutely, <laughs> we should have a drum roll. Yes. The, well, I, wait, I, I got this here. We'll do that. And they're off. And they're off. The very important question is, your favorite western. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll pressure, tell you, pressure. the Cowboys, by far. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, wow. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's just a classic. I mean, there are, how could you say that? That's like saying, what's your favorite kid or something. Well, I know, I know. Everybody has their favorite, but, you know, uh, your particular favorite, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of outstanding. Yeah, ones, yeah. But there's always one that if you have to choose between three or four outstanding, yeah. the one you'll always watch. Well, Red River, uh, you know, I ooh, have a personal ooh. attachment to that because it was filmed on the San Pedro mm-hmm. and the famous, At the uh, Ridge. yeah, and the, and the that's where I was today. Well, it was actually uh, Little Boquias, and it's actually on the river. It's mm-hmm. now in the middle of the riparian area. And the famous fight scene was done outside their smokehouse at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when Yul Brenner starts calling up everybody to come ride, Yul Brenner wasn't in Red Not, not who it's the gentleman. The, what's the guy's name? Uh, 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 Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know the thing when they're leaving to go out to start the trail drive and right. they're loading yeah, the chuck yeah. wagon. Yeah. That was the cook's house behind it, part of the main house. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. Yeah. Lots of fun. Way cool. Way cool. What else? Uh, we got a minute left. Fellas, uh, who wants to drop a question in? 
Okay, uh, my question is, Jay, <laughs> your favorite bar in all of Tucson? The yep. buffet. When oh, I, when, oh, buffet. <laughs> the, well, I have a thing that I do. I travel a lot because I'm in the ranching business and I have to go to Montana and lots of lots of places. And the first question whenever I get in some little town is, "What's the oldest bar?" Yeah. And it, it better be good. You know, <laughs> it's lasted long. Wow. It'll be it'll be good. How and many I, beers do they have at the uh, buffet? I, I you know I don't, I, I don't go there as like I used to. But when I, the very first time I was in Tucson, I went to a friend that owned a bike shop near the university. And he said, you need to go around the buffet. Well, this was 10 o'clock in the morning. And so I thought, well, I'll go check it out. I opened the door. Open for hours. (laughs) I was knocked down by cigarette smoke, and I went in, and and I met a guy that had just, he had a pocket full of rocks, and he'd been out, you know, seeing if he could find something for the mining companies. Another guy had gotten a late late night shift at the the railroad. Uh, But it is something. All right. It's a landmark. Jay Wells, thank you so much for spending an afternoon with us, man. Really appreciate it. Viva Rito. Yeah, Viva Rito. And that'll do it for this edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79, 80s, and they're off and running in Rito. (laughs) So long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.